Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Platforms. You're listening to the Indo Daily. Now, a special episode from our sister podcast, The Bell Tell. There were thousands of deaths during the Troubles. Hundreds of people took other people's lives. Thousands were involved in the processes that entailed. It seems wrong to single out a single victim. But some stories have to be told. In this episode of The Bell Tell, we discussed the murder of Anne Ogilvy. What is the UDA's view of the crime which was committed, which has horrified the entire nation? Well, words couldn't explain it. The UDA staff and uh, brigade staff that know how he spelled fast were horrified at it. Uh, in fact, were sickened about it. She was a 32-year-old mother of four who was beaten to death with bricks and sticks in a Sandy Road loyalist social club in 1974 daughter was downstairs. But surely these people were members of the UDA. Uh, some of them were, but not them all. She was murdered by teenage girls. She was killed over the petty jealousy of a local women's UDA boss. Well, that there was more uh, a women's uh, jealousy. And it had entirely nothing at all to do with the UDA. To tell this horrific story, I'm joined by Belfast Telegraph reporter Andrew Madden. Andrew, you're very welcome to the Bell Tell once again. Thanks for having me. Who was Anne Ogilby? Well, Anne Ogilby, she was born in Sand Mills in County Tyrone. Um, she was one of 13 children. Um, she grew up in a pretty poor uh, Protestant family um, and they moved to Belfast when she was 17. Um, at the time of her death, she had four children. Why? It's so hard to imagine, but a mother of four... Mm-hmm. Uh, she was she was a young woman herself. She was thirty two. She was from a Protestant background. She was living in the Sandy Row area. Why, why would this have happened to her? I think it's really important to note that while this happened during one of the most violent periods of the Troubles, that her death had nothing to do with politics, it had nothing to do with sectarianism. It was all down to jealousy. Um, so essentially. Anne Ogilvy was known to be a very attractive woman. Uh, she had long, long uh, dark brown silky hair and blue eyes. And this seems to have played um, a role in her death. Um, she went from relationship to relationship um, in an attempt to find uh, Mr. Wright. And none of these lasted very long. 
um, and she didn't have much luck in terms of work. She drifted from one job to the other and she struggled financially and she was um, evicted for um, being behind in her rent and she ended up living in a hostel. Now, six years after her arrival in Belfast, she had given birth to four children, each to a different partner. And in August 1972, she was introduced to a man named William Young. Now, he was married at the time, but he, he said that his marriage was breaking down um, and his divorce hadn't come through yet. Um, but what Anne Obie did not know is that William Young was the head. Um, she was a local, he was a local UDA leader. Now, their relationship started um, and he claimed to fall in love with Anne Ogilvie, um, and eventually when she, she learned of his paramilitary ties um, and he was arrested in 1973 and he was interned in the maze. Now, at this time, there was uh, UDA and UVF or all paramilitaries really, they collected money on a regular basis to send um, food and parcels to things to the prisoners and they would also support the, the families um, of prisoners while they were, they were inside. Now, at this time, the UDA mistakenly assumed um, that Young and his wife were still living together, so Miss Young was given food parcels to pass on to him, um, but they never reached him, or so Anna would be claimed. Um, Anna was incensed while she was pretty much destitute, um, and her partner was in prison. Um, she put together food parcels to be able to, se- to send to him. Um, this- so it was up to her mm-hmm. to support her lover? Yeah. Um, and, and she might have even ex- have expected some sort of support from the UDA. Exactly, because that was traditionally what would happen. Yeah, um, the UDA would raise money, and then it would be given to the the families of the prisoners. And then they would be able to get food parcels together and send to the their their family. Uh, and we should point out, obviously, you know, you are fed in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, but this would be extra food, comfort food. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, just to be clear. The UDA would have been supplying um, food parcels to um, William Young's wife, his legal wife. Mm-hmm. Um, Anne Ogle- Ogilvy claimed that that was not being passed on to him. Yeah. So the responsibility fell to her. She felt, even though that she had four children and no job and was living in a hostel and was uh, practically penniless herself. So obviously, mm-hmm. she found herself destitute. Her partner was in prison. Mm hmm. So she complained to the UDA. That seems almost like a rational thing to do. It seems like a rational thing to do. Um, but unfortunately for Anne at this time, um, her grievances were overheard um, by William Young's actual wife. Um, and then she in turn turned to her friend Elizabeth Douglas, who was the 40-year-old so-called commander of the women's branch of the UDA in the area. Um, and obviously um, people weren't too happy. So this led on July 23. 23rd of that year, um, Anna Ogilvie was picked up and brought to Douglas's home in City Street in Belfast. Um, they asked her questions over the disparaging comments she had made about Mrs. Douglas, and she was warned if this continued that there'd be dire consequences and that she would be ostracised if she repeated any of these remarks. Um, it's claimed that Anna Ogilvie was told, We have rules here and we stick to them, and I would expect anybody new to do the same. So I expect anybody knew to do the same, mm-hmm. so she was clearly somewhat of an outsider. She was, yes. Well, she was a blow-in. She wasn't from Belfast, and she wasn't involved in the women's branch of the UDA. She wasn't involved in any paramilitary activity whatsoever. She, she wasn't seen as being inside this this tight circle of um, UDA men's wives. 
And Elizabeth Douglas, as we said, she she was an influential person in the area. Mm-hmm. As you say, the women's branch of the DA, she also had an extensive criminal record. Oh, very much so. Yeah, yeah, going back years. Um, and these people had taken upon themselves to be uh, so-called community leaders, essentially, and laying down the law um, in their respective areas. The next day was the 24th of July, 1974. What happened on that day? The following day in the afternoon, a group of UDA women met in a bar in Sandy Road to discuss the situation and what to do with, with Anne Ogilvy. Um, at this stage, she'd been questioned previously, but they didn't know whether or not she'd went to the police to report any of this. Um, and she didn't know if they if she had said anything about the organisation, about the UDA. Um, and it's claimed that Elizabeth said at this point that something would need to be done. So they moved on to a second public house and about 2pm, um, Elizabeth had decided uh, to bring Anne Ogilvy back in for quote-unquote questioning. They considered her a, some sort of renegade and that had put them in a, in a position, somehow had threatened their position, despite the fact she had no paramilitary links, she was a destitute person with four children. Exactly. You know, they feared that she would have had a loose tongue and she would be speaking about business that wasn't hers. And, you know, if it came back to these women that they had been questioned and or that they questioned Anne Ogilvy and their, you know, connections to what was at this time, it has to be said, a legal paramilitary group. But, of course, they, they undertook nefarious illegal activities. So it's 2pm. Mm-hmm. They've been drinking. Yeah. And Anne Ogilvy at this time, um, she had an appointment but she never made it. Um, outside the YMCA where she was staying, um, a van pulled up. Um, and when Anne was with her eldest daughter, uh, six-year-old Charlene, um, a man um, called Albert Graham, 25 years old, he was known as Bumper Graham, um, he picked Anne up. And Anne and her young daughter, they were driven to a building on Hunter Street, just close to Sandy Row. It was a disused bakery and it was used as a, a kind of clubhouse for the UDA. Um, so they went inside and... To their surprise, a group of them wearing masks appeared. Um, but Elizabeth Douglas, she was wearing no disguise, joined them. And Elizabeth told the other woman to take Anne upstairs and give her a good rumpering, which means a, a beating. And they, they, had, they had some sort of kangaroo court trial... Exactly, yeah. This conversation. This happened quite a lot. I mean, essentially, these people took the law or so-called rule-breaking into their own hands and set up these kangaroo courts often in back rooms of pubs or disused buildings um, and they would decide whatever punishment um, they should uh, meet out. So Anne Ogilvy mm-hmm. is brought to this social club, clubhouse. She is confronted with by masked women mm-hmm. and Elizabeth Douglas, who is not masked. Mm-hmm. What happened next? Uh, she's taken to an upstairs room and hoods placed over her head and her hands are tied together. Um, now there's a couple of these women, the so-called enforcers of the group, uh, Henrietta Piper Cowan and Christine Smith, who were teenagers at the time, and as we said, uh, began to violently assault Anne. And Elizabeth Douglas had said, take her upstairs and give her a good rompering. Mm-hmm. Now there was a children's TV show called The Romper Room at the time. Exactly. Uh, this led to a use in, in of loyalist romper rooms. Now, this room in which um, Anne Ogilvy's life was taken was actually used literally as a romper room or playroom. It was, indeed, yeah. Uh, but this became a term for a room in which 
people violence would be killed. People were essentially violence tor- would be carried out. In people. Yeah, people were essentially tortured in these rooms. It happened on several occasions over the course of the troubles, but this would turn out to be one of the most, uh, one of the most infamous. So she's taken upstairs. Yep. And um, Charlene, the six-year-old wee girl, she heard her mum screams as she was being uh, savagely beaten with bricks and sticks. And uh, she ran upstairs to try to get to her mum, but she was... um, Elizabeth Douglas spotted her um, and told Bumper Graham to to get her out of here, so he sent her off to um, a shop to buy sweets and said that her mum's going to be fine. So Charlene Ogilvy, a Mm six-year-old, was literally present. She heard her her mum's screams, yeah. I think for many people, that would be... Beyond the pale. Beyond the pale. They then sent her to the shop to buy sweets while and, they murdered her mother. And told her mother was going to be fine. Um, but what the, obviously young Charlene didn't know or wouldn't comprehend even if she if she was told was that um, her mother had already been sentenced to death by this gang. Um, and the gang video uh, used sticks and bricks to, to beat Anne to death. And she was killed by teenagers. Literally the people who carried out this death sentence by stoning yeah, Henrietta Cowan and Christine Smith. Um, Cowan was 17 at the time, and Smith was only 16. And they inflicted 24 at least blows to her head and body with a blunt object, and 14 of these caused uh, severe fractures to her skull. Um, and Anne had just given birth to her fourth child some about two months previous to this. And they stopped for a smoke break? They stopped for a smoke break, and they discussed um, the uh, party that they were going to later that night, and made plans for what to do after they had... Uh, murdered this one and they did go to that party they did they did obviously after a certain amount of time during this horrific beating Anne Ogilvy died at some stage yeah after an hour of being beaten um, she was killed Uh, Henrietta Cowan known as Etta Cowan she removed the sack that was on top of uh, Anne's head and she was able to tell from her disfigured face that she was dead so the uh, men that um, had been came into the club at this stage, uh, they got a sack and they gathered up the body and brought it downstairs to Elizabeth Douglas, who showed no surprise or remorse learning about the murder, and she essentially just said, uh, bring her somewhere and just dump her. And that's what happened. And she was dumped at the side of the M1 coming into Belfast. Uh, yeah, just in a, a ditch, just off the side of the road, like a piece of trash. The UDA said at the time that this was a matter, and we have a clip of a UDA leader saying this, that he believed that this was a matter between women. Mm-hmm. Well, that there was more a, a women's uh, jealousy. It had entirely nothing at all to do with the UDA. Um, but of course, there were two men present at this so-called kangaroo court Robert were, Graham yeah. was, was, was a man and, and two men who'd come in to dump have, the body yeah. came in to dispose of, of, of this body and yeah. it didn't seem to yeah. as far as we know perturb them too much mm-hmm. you, you know everything about this story again and again and again you're hit by facts about this story you know the child present mm-hmm. carried out by teenagers everyone seemed to be utterly callous mm-hmm. the reasons for this were so petty and so small mm-hmm. uh, and it was ordered by someone who took all of this upon herself. Mm-hmm. One shocking part of this story that I find disturbing but not surprising is that Anne Ogilvy actually had a, a chance to escape this. Yeah, that's one of the, the most, uh, you know, kind of what if moments about this. The, the previous night when she was 
questioned um, by these women and later released. Um, essentially what happened was Anne promised to behave herself and they uh, brought her to the Glen Street bus station just beside the opera house there um, so she could take a bus back to her, hosp- her hostel. Now there were nine women, um, not including Anne, all squeezed into one car. Um, so Anne boarded the, boarded the bus after she got dropped off um, and she said she appears to have said something during this trip which angered um, some of the women that were with her and um, three of the she, she, she seemed to have said from from my notes mm-hmm. who does she think she is the queen and she was referring to Elizabeth Douglas yeah. and that enraged her yeah it was and essentially three women were ordered to get on the bus and drag Anne from her seat and put her, get her back in the car um, ostensibly to bring her back to um, where she had been questioned um, so they dragged her from her seat and, and bundled her in the back of the car and then they sped off what probably seemed Anne's life that night um, was a phone call was made by one of the bus station staff and he took down the registration number of the car and alerted police. So um, an outpoint bulletin was sent out and the car was stopped on the Malone Road um, by a pair of RUC constables. Um, so he looked into the car and seen it um, bunged with, with all these women and one of them pretty much told them that they were they were going off to a party. Um, you know, joking, you're not going to report us for a wee bit of overcrowding. And then the policemen informed them of the report they received about uh, one of them being dragged off the bus and and Ogilvy volunteered, that would be me, just perhaps trying to ingratiate herself with Elizabeth Douglas, um, gain a wee bit of favour. And she said, you know, it was nothing, it was only a couple of us fooling around. But the, the police weren't convinced and they were all escorted to the Queen Street RUC station and they were questioned and statements were taken. Um, and at the point, Anne Ogilvy was notably distressed, but she refused um, to make a complaint, obviously probably fair enough, the, the repercussions. Um, even when press so no charges were brought and all the women were held until 2am names and address were, were taken and the police invited Anne to return to the station the following day to make a statement but again she refused so she had a, she had a chance but I mean it's easy to judge looking back but I mean she, she was, was destitute yeah. she was living in a hostel she she lived in this world she was in an impossible situation really because you know the one hand she made a report it would undoubtedly go back to these women and probably the, the EDA men and she, you know, she was living in this area at this time where these these people essentially had their own sort of law enforcement and the repercussions would have been terrible for her if she had done this. And obviously she had no idea that she was going to be picked up the next day again. So she, you know, attempted to um, help out the other woman just to get a, a, a small bit of favour with her, perhaps. And as we've mentioned, this was ordered... The instigator of this seemed to be one Elizabeth Douglas. She was described by people at the time as a plain middle-aged woman. Um, she frequented loyalist bars at the weekend. Um, I suppose it might have been, Anne might have felt herself in a situation where she mightn't have been able to believe how much trouble she'd actually got herself in. Yeah, because I've seen some of the pictures of Elizabeth Douglas and you wouldn't uh, think by looking at her. Um, the kind of person that she really was. She was known as somebody who loved power, but she had a lengthy criminal record um, going back years for forgery, smuggling, assault, actual bodily harm, and she also helped her husband run a brothel. Um, so she was known as being a formidable woman that you didn't cross. Now, in February 1975, 11 women and one man, Albert Bumper Graham, who we've already talked about, mm-hmm. they were tried and sentenced for this murder. They all pleaded guilty. Mm-hmm. So it was a crime, I suppose, in, in terms of uh, 
in terms of the troubles, you know, there are many crimes which are never solved, or yeah. if, if if even if everyone knows what happened, no one's ever convicted. But eleven yeah. people yeah. were involved in this, and they all pleaded guilty. Yeah, and there was abundance of evidence, and obviously not in the least the fact that the police had picked up these very women um, the day before with Anne Ogilby, um, and quickly when they were they were presented um, with all this evidence against them, you know, everyone in the area knew what happened. Um, they quickly. Uh, pled guilty to the crimes and the judge involved that's uh, Ambrose McGonagall who we've actually spoken um, about before he's a war hero um, he's known as one of the most formidable judges um, served during the Troubles um, and he made quite a statement he made quite a statement um, the judge said uh, during the case I don't know what constitute, constitutes a paramilitary organisation what appears before me today under the name of the UDA is gun law a vicious and brutalising organisation of persons who take the law into their own hands and who, by kangaroo courts and the infliction of physical brutality, terrorise a neighbourhood through intimidation and rule an area of this city. And he sentenced Elizabeth Douglas to 10 years in prison for the manslaughter of Van Ogilvy, and then she received two further sentences of three years each for the crimes of intimidation and for detaining Anne against her will. Um, but as, as is often the case, those sentences were to run concurrently with her 10 years. Um, presumably the thinking was these were minor crimes um, committed at the same time as murder and Elizabeth Douglas was freed when she was served only half of her sentence. Just after five years, uh, I mean, that's an incredible, incredibly short yeah. amount of time. And four children had to um, grow up without a mother and they were taken into care and Charlene had to live the rest of her life haunted by hearing her mum scream while she was being killed. Andrew, as I said at the start of this podcast, you know, in terms of the troubles, there were thousands of people killed, and th- this is not. You know, sometimes we in the media pick a certain story, and you know, for various reasons, we talk about it more than others. And I and I don't think it is an attempt to say that one person's life is no, is was yeah. worth more than another or anything like that at all. It's a simple fact that there are elements of that story which people find shocking, and yeah. which people. You know, it's one of those ones that just kind of stays with you when you when you learn about it. But even at the time, mm-hmm. this must have been hugely shocking for Northern Ireland, for Belfast, for the Sandy Row, and even into in the UDA. Very much so. I mean, the the UDA were very quick to come out after um, the people were arrested and and people learned about what happened. Yeah, and they were very quick to come out to say this is nothing to do with our organisation. Um, we think what these people did was um, was horrible and. It's nothing to do with us. It was simply a matter between women and jealousy. But it has to be said, for several factors, this stood out. One was for the brutality of it. And another, and not least, was the fact that it was dubbed on by women. And unfortunately, it was not the last time that uh, a woman lost her life no, uh, certainly in, not. in one of these uh, social clubs. No, certainly not. Um, there were several other cases of this happening throughout the years. No. The so-called enforcers, Henrietta Piper Cowan and Christine Smith. Cowan was 17 at the time, Smith was 16. As far as we're aware, they're still alive. Oh, yeah, yeah. They would only be in their 60s now. Do we know anything what happened to them after or...? Well, all all of those who... um who were convicted and served time in prison for this case, they all they all got out after, it has to be said, none of them served their full sentence, and they all got out and they were welcomed back into the Sandy Row community, as if nothing had ever happened. And to this day, as far as I know, um, quite a few of them still live in the Sandy Row community. Andrew Madden, thank you very much. 
This episode of The Bell Tale was produced by myself, Kieran Dunbar. The sound design was by Graham Davidson.